That's page 772, Obadiah, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon, upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zerfath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sephrad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Thank you, Kirsten, for reading our passage this morning. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Will, and we'll be finishing Obadiah this morning. So it'd be great if you could keep it open in front of you. And also, if you'd find it helpful, you should have found a little handout inserted into the Bible when you headed in this morning. But before we begin, let's pray for the Lord's help as you read his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you that by your spirit you do speak to us through it and that your spirit helps us to understand it and to grow as we listen to it. Please, Father, help us this morning not to harden our hearts to your voice as you speak to us today. Amen. And to begin with this morning, I want us to think briefly about this question. When we look around the world today, who looks like they're in charge? Who looks to be the one in control? Now, as we ponder that, I'm sure a number of different ideas came into our heads. Maybe some of us thought about the major nations and the organizations around the world, the US, China, the G20, the UN. They call the shots. They set the agenda for where the world is headed. Or maybe you think their old hat, it's actually major corporations, it's the multinationals, they set the agenda for where the world is going. Or perhaps you think it's certain individuals, people with larger-than-life personalities, far-reaching influence, able to galvanize the crowds and lead the masses. When we look around the world today, we see the power and influence of all these people, and many more, and it can look like they are in charge, it can look like they control the world. But in Obadiah this morning, we are going to see who really rules, who is really in charge, and what his kingdom looks like. For as we just read at the end of verse 21, Obadiah is going to show us that the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It shows us how God rules over all the nations and all the people, no matter what it might look like on the ground, no matter what it might look like today. 
Because we do often think that the superpowers of our age are the ones who really are in control. But even from a cursory glance back through history, well, that should help remind us that even those powerful empires and the most powerful figureheads do eventually fall. Take Rome, for example. At one time, it looked to be in charge of the world, able to exert its will on whoever it wanted. But now, it's just ruins and museum exhibits. But despite, despite the fact we see this time and time again across history, the nations and powers of today still look very powerful, and they still seem very solid. And that means that we're still often tempted to put our hope and our confidence in them for our security and our safety. This was true in Obadiah's generation as well. And back then, for God's people, it was Babylon who were the dominant powerhouse, along with their ally, Edom. They looked to be in control of the state of the world, and they had just used this power to siege the city of Jerusalem and destroy God's people. We saw last week in Obadiah how Edom had helped to bring down Jerusalem, aiding the Babylonians against their own brother, Jacob. Edom had wickedly sided with Babylon to attack its brother, and this left the people of Jerusalem out in exile, wondering, would Edom get away with all of its wicked deeds? Because it sure looked like they might. Edom had a strong alliance with the Babylonians. They had mighty mountain fortresses which seemed impenetrable. They had access to great wisdom and an abundance of wealth. We saw all that last week, that by any human measurement, Edom seemed to be undefeatable. And it was on these things that they relied upon to stay safe. But we also saw last week that it was in the midst of that situation that God sent Obadiah to speak his word to Edom. And Obadiah told them how God's coming judgment would bring them low, no matter how strong or mighty they looked. And it would have been difficult for the people of God, often exile, to believe that Edom could ever be brought low. They just looked too strong. And it was hard for the prideful people of Edom to think that they would ever be brought low either. Because no one expects this great reversal of fortunes. Which is why they needed to hear the message of Obadiah. To see who's really in charge and see what he's going to do. And so too for us today. That as we see, we can all too easily look around us and forget who really rules and forget what God's rule means. So let's get stuck into the text. Firstly, looking at verses 15 to 16, where we're going to see that God's, God brings judgment on victorious nations. Let's read from verse 15 again. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink 
and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. It's in these verses that we see the climax of Obadiah's message of God's coming judgment for Edom, that the day of the Lord is coming when God will judge the nations. We read in the second half of verse 15 how it will be a day when God will turn the deeds of Edom upon their own heads. So as they have done, well, God will do that to them, justly dealing with them for all their deeds. And if we're in any doubt about how Edom will fare when their own deeds are turned on them, well, let's just remind ourselves how they acted in the past. If we scan our eyes back over verses 10 to 14, we see how Edom had committed violence to Jacob, cast lots for Jerusalem, gloated over its brother, entered and looted the city, and even handed the survivors back over to the Babylonians. Edom had acted wickedly on the day of its brother's calamity. We see, in, well, we see now in verse 15 that on this coming day, all of Edom's deeds will be turned on their head. God has seen all that they did to their brother, and God will deal justly with Edom because of how they acted. So that even if Edom looked strong and looked powerful, set in their impenetrable mountain fortresses, saying proudly, back in verse 3, who will bring us down to the ground? Well, Obadiah warns them that the day is coming when the Lord shall bring them low, just like how they brought their brother Jacob low, that they will be dealt the same fate which they have been dealing to others. Their deeds shall be turned on their heads. We see this too in verse 16, as Obadiah paints a picture of the celebration after the fall of Jerusalem. Verse 16, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. But as they drink, it gradually, sip by sip, turns from jubilation to judgment. Verse 16, they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. As they drink more and more, it gradually turns more and more sour until eventually, at the end of verse 16, it shall be as though they had never been. God's judgment will completely and utterly destroy them. And there's nothing their pride or possessions can do to protect them on that day. For look around us, where do we see the might of the Edomites today? They've completely disappeared from the face of the earth. Consigned to history, you probably even struggle to find much in a museum about them. Practically for us, it's as if they were never here. And it wouldn't take long after Obadiah had spoken these words to Edom that Edom was destroyed. It wouldn't take long for God to fulfill his word and judge Edom for their sin and for their pride, to return their own deeds upon their own head. But all this might leave us here wondering, well, what does a dest- the destruction of some obscure and distant nation from over 2,000 years ago really got to do with us? 
None of the other countries or powers on the globe back then still exist. So why should we care about Edom? Isn't it a bit like watching one of those BBC archive news footage? It's kind of interesting to watch, but the message has become less relevant over time. Well, no, because this message is still relevant for us, because verse 15, the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. While this was fulfilled in part by the historic fall of Edom and other nations, this is not just a warning for Edom then, as this will be fully fulfilled in the future when the Lord returns to judge. As Obadiah speaks about a future day that is near for all their nations. And just as Edom's deeds had been seen by the Lord, and he was prepared to give them the just response they deserved, well, here we see a bigger day when all the nations will be judged, when all the deeds which any of them have ever done will all be brought before the Lord and turned on their own heads. And just as we've seen for Edom, it's as if they were never here, while the same fate awaits all the nations, as all have done things that are evil and sinful, and the day is near for them all. Every single nation, no matter how impressive or powerful or wise they might be, they all await the prospect of God turning their own deeds upon their own head and finding themselves gulping down God's judgment until they are no more. And that means that if even the most powerful nation that we've ever seen on earth can't stand up to God, that sure does mean that we individually haven't got a chance either. For the day of the Lord is near for all, when God will deal with all people for their sin. And just like the nations, there's no amount of wealth or number of powerful friends or amount of wisdom or might that can keep God at bay when he comes to judge. For just as he knew Edom's deeds, God has seen all the sinful things we have each done, and he can and he will deal with each and every one justly. God does bring just judgment for all wrongdoing, which means death, destruction, and eternal judgment. As we reflect on God's just judgment of all sin, this does at one level comfort us, as we know that anything that's ever been done that was wrong or sinful, well, it will be dealt with in the end. That just like how Edom didn't get away with their sin, well, nor shall anyone from across all the ages, no matter how powerful they might be, and no matter if it looks like they've got away with it, God has seen it, and he has the power and authority to deal with it. So for the persecuted church today, well, they can take great comfort in knowing that the one who persecutes them still sits beneath the Lord. Or for any who are oppressed, poorly treated, or attacked, we can all know that full justice will one day be done and that no evil deed will be left undealt with. 
Now, while this does comfort us, it should also concern us because it is terrifying because none of us can say that we have lived a perfectly innocent lives ourselves. If someone knew all that we had ever done, thought or said, well, I'm sure there'd be much that we'd be ashamed of and much that we'd admit was deserving of judgment. And the wage of sin is death. If God were to look at our whole lives and give us full and true justice, then we would all be deserving of death. And none of the wealth we've amassed, nor the powerful friends we have, nor our wisdom or intellect, not even our muscles and might, can protect us the day the Lord comes for all. It's a sobering message that Obadiah brings to us on a Sunday morning, but it's an important one to take heed of, because no matter how powerful the nations and peoples of the world look today, we are all on a collision course with a God who knows the evil we've done and who one day will deal justly with it all. It's in the face of this certain judgment that the psalmist writes in Psalm 130 these words, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? If God is going to judge us all for all of our sin, then how on earth can anyone stand? Is there any hope in the face of such overwhelming judgment? Well, it is in the face of God's complete judgment at all that brings us onto verses 17 to 20, where we'll see that God brings restoration for exiled people. Because despite the certainty of God's judgment being near for all the nations, we read in verse 17, in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. In the face of such devastating judgment in which no one could stand, amazingly, there is a means of escape a way to avoid facing the judgment of God and being able to stand, a way even to be holy on Mount Zion. And not only do we see the possibility of an escape, but in these verses, we also see God's plan to restore his people, to bring sinful people back to him. The second part of verse 17 reads, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Now this is the house of Jacob currently forced into exile, looking like all was lost and that God was finished with them. Well, it was being promised full restoration back to being a people. Let's remember that God's people were in exile because of their sin. The people of God for generations had rejected God's rule and his law, and were sent into exile for it. But it was in spite of their sin that God still graciously offers a way for sinful people to escape judgment and be fully restored back as his people. 
We see this restoration outlined further in that land redistribution described in verses 19 to 20. And here we see a picture of the land around Israel in every direction, which had been lost to their enemies, while God was now promising that that would be returned to his people in order to restore them. Verse 19, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Even, verse 20, the exiles of Israel and Jerusalem brought back to possess the land. God offers full restoration even in the face of full judgment and even to those who've been exiled for their sin. The once exiled people of God brought back and restored to be in his kingdom on Mount Zion as a holy people. Just like Edom, when he brought them from their heights down, God is able to reverse their fortunes and lift them up too. And while after some time, the exiles do return to the land, we kind of see that in other parts of the Old Testament, this promise of restoration is for all of God's people across all the ages. As when we speak about Mount Zion, we are speaking about more than just the physical land. As Mount Zion is the place of God's rule over all the nations of the earth. Psalm 48 says this about Mount Zion. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. As you carry on reading through the psalm, you see that the whole nations of the entire world can see Mount Zion, and the kings are terrified because of its power. And the psalm finishes with these words, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Mount Zion is more than just a physical mountain, but it's the symbol of God's eternal rule over the whole earth in which no other kingdom can compare. And that is the Mount Zion that God is restoring his people to be on, so that even us who are far off in our sin might be reconciled to him and given an escape from judgment to be restored as part of his people on Mount Zion. So this promise of full escape and full restoration remains for us today. So thus far in these verses, we've seen two great reversals. We've seen the might of Edom brought low, and we've seen God's exiled and shattered people restored. So much so that whereas before Edom had destroyed Jerusalem, now the house of Jacob shall destroy the house of Esau. Verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. God's judgment will be complete but God is offering a way to fully escape 
judgment and to be part of his people on Mount Zion. But before we think that evil and sin is just a problem out there and that inside the church it's all okay, well, let's remember that God's people back then were in exile for their sin and that each one of us here cannot pretend that we've lived perfectly, even in the time that we've been a Christian. We too deserve God's full judgment instead of the blessing of being made into his people. We aren't saved because we don't have any sin, but we're saved despite the sin in us. We escape judgment. So given what we saw in verses 15 and 16, that judgment is near for all the nations and all will have their deeds turned on their own heads, well, how does that make sense? If God is just and he will deal with all sin, then how can there possibly be a means of escape in the face of this? Because even those in God's people know that if their deeds were turned on their heads, that we would all be deserved to be judged too. If any one of us drank from the cup, we would be judged just like anyone else. So if we cannot drink the cup without facing God's judgment then we need someone who can on our behalf. In Luke's Gospel, we read that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was praying in the garden, and he said these words, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus describes his coming death on the cross as being like drinking from the cup. But as a perfectly sinless man throughout his entire life, even if all of his deeds were turned on his head, then he would not have been found guilty or in need of judgment. Yet he did take the punishment of death upon the cross, where he chose to bear the sins of many so that our deeds might be turned on his head so that those who trust in Jesus might find a genuine way to escape judgment and be restored as one of God's people, as we have the one who took the cup on our behalf, who faced the wrath of God for our sin, so that we might find escape. Which means that we don't take pride in or look to what we've amassed or gained on earth to keep us safe on that final day but instead we can look to his death and know that God has graciously provided a means of escape if we trust in Jesus. So that if we're here and we are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, well, we can take great comfort because God has provided for us a genuine and certain means of escape through the one who drinks the cup on our behalf that we have complete and full forgiveness for all of our sins, and we are made holy to be with him as part of his restored people on Mount Zion. And all of this, even in the face of complete and utter judgment. That even though God sees our iniquity and he sees our sin, and he is just, he has still made a way that we might be saved while still dealing with sin. 
that in Jesus, we have all we need to escape judgment and to be restored as God's people. Firstly, that happened when we put our trust in Jesus to begin with and became part of his restored people here. But also that will happen on the final day when Christ returns to judge the world that we can be sure that we will be safe and escape judgment and that we will be part of his fully restored people forever. And doesn't this just help us appreciate Jesus more as we realize just what a severe and serious situation we're in, but that he has graciously provided us a way to escape judgment and be welcomed into God's people in God's kingdom. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that you trust in Jesus, well then please let me urge you this morning to consider him. For we have seen the certainty of God's judgment upon all the nations. And if even the most powerful and the most wise, the most impressive cannot stand up, then what do we have that we could put our trust in to stand up to him? If God deals with us in the way our sins deserve, we have nothing we can rely on. But in Jesus, we see the only escape from judgment so we can have certainty that all of our sins have been dealt with in him and we can confidently come to Mount Zion to be with our king. And this is where the book of Obadiah lands in verse 21. As we read in the final point, that God's kingdom shall be the Lord's. And it's in this final verse where the whole book of Obadiah has been pointing. For we've seen two great reversals of fortunes. Again, we've seen the powerful and victorious-looking nations brought low and the exiled and weak-looking people of God saved and restored to be with him. And God is able to do these because the kingdom belongs to him and nobody else. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. He is the one who reigns. Verse 21 reads, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now that word saviors here, it could be translated the saved. So whether it's kind of us going out proclaiming salvation or us just being people who have been saved, it's clear it's talking about God's people going to be with him on Mount Zion. I guess that brings us on to the first of three things this verse is going to remind us of things we've seen across Obadiah. So firstly, we're reminded that God's people are being restored to be with him in his kingdom on Mount Zion as we go up to Mount Zion. Secondly, we're reminded that it's God's kingdom which rules over the other nations. Mount Zion rules over Mount Esau even though at the time of Obadiah, it looked like Mount Esau ruled over Mount Zion. Ultimately, as we've been seeing across Obadiah, God is the one who can judge and who can rule over the other nations. And finally, above all, we're reminded that God, sorry, we're reminded that the kingdom shall be the Lord's. He reigns, he is the true king, 
Obadiah has shown us that ultimately he is the one in complete control and nobody else. So no matter what it looks like on the ground, no matter which nations look dominant in the world today, no matter how weak the people of God look and the church looks, we can be sure that it is God who is in control. It is God who rules over all. Which means that he can bring all that we've seen this morning to pass and reverse the fortunes of the so-called victorious nations and his exiled people. So for today, that means that we can put our trust in him that he is able to judge sin and deal with all evil, no matter how strong and formidable they might seem. We know a God who is able to defeat them and destroy them. It also means that we can put our trust in him that he will fulfill his word and restore his people through the Lord Jesus. That even though we ourselves deserve judgment for our sin and have not lived as we ought, that Jesus died for us. And we have been made holy to dwell on Mount Zion with the Lord forever and escape judgment. And we can trust him that his kingdom is truly established and it will be forever as we get to dwell with him forever as his people and he as our king. That no matter what it might look like on the ground, the kingdom shall be the Lord's and that when Jesus returns to judge the nations and save his people, all shall see that the kingdom truly is the Lord's. Which means that whatever it looks like for us today, we can know that God reigns and the kingdom belongs to him. So let's trust in him alone and nothing else for our escape from judgment. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the King who reigns over all. And we thank you that you deal with all evil and that by your wondrous grace, you have given us a way to be restored to you despite our sin. Help us to keep trusting in you and seeing you as King and not being led to take security or pride in other things. Amen.